just want to share a couple of things with you before we continue our study in the book of Ephesians. I hope that when you came here, you'll notice that we have a new landscaping job uh, that's going on out here. So it looks really good. Uh, if you Over on this side, it looks like a bomb went off at the Mojave Desert. And uh, so actually, I'm excited. I mean, I've been looking forward to this forever. I know a lot of you have as well. But uh, what's going on over there is that that's going to be the new parking area. Also, is where our new uh, building is going to be located. So starting Monday... Monday, they're going to be putting in, uh, beginning to work on the building pad. So I hope that whenever you come back next week that you're going to begin to see some of the, some of the beginning works of where that building's going to be. And so I'm, I'm thrilled to death about that and excited. And you'll notice that we did, we did not have Team Kid today. Uh, we have half a trailer over here, the other half's over here. And so what's going on is this week they're just moving it, relocating it, so they can begin the building process over there. So next Sunday uh, we'll be having Team Kid. But the final date, the build-out date, is what they're what they're telling me, and I'm hoping that if they if they don't do it, they are lying, not me. And so uh, what we're hoping for is that uh, January that we'll be moving into our new facility, and so uh, really uh, looking forward to that. So that's that's pretty pretty cool stuff. Now the next thing I want to share with you, and again this has nothing to do with the message, so you you might be thinking, well I'm tuning you out. Don't tune me out yet. Uh, I want to encourage you, when we were on vacation last week, and you can probably tell because of how tan I am, uh, when we were on vacation last week, one thing that that came across the news was this whole issue, and this is like a political, a little political statement here, it was about Chick-fil-A. And I know that some of you all are probably familiar with that. Uh, there's some, some issues that came up because the, uh, the founder, the owner, one of the CEOs, Dan Cathy, lives in Atlanta. He has family in Columbia. Uh, he was speaking to a Baptist magazine and asked him about, about gay marriage. He said he believes in traditional marriage, uh, does not believe in gay marriage. And it just went crazy from there. And there's people boycotting and all that stuff. And I was just thinking, you know, as a believer, you know, there's a lot of businesses that support things that I don't support that I'm not in favor of. And uh, uh, I can name some of them. I'm not going to. But you know what? I still occasionally I'll go over and buy a product. And, or sometimes I just say, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to shop there anymore. But, you know, it's America. And I, I have not. Uh, it just drives me crazy because somebody has a viewpoint that somebody else does not have. Then they are demonized, especially when it comes when it comes to things that are written about in Scripture. And so I said, you know, I'm going to mention this. I told Emily, I said, I want everybody to go eat at Chick-fil-A. And she goes, they're not open Sundays. Yeah, they're not. Okay, well, maybe go on like Monday or something. But I just think as believers, we need to be supportive of, of people who hold values that, that we hold, whether the world agrees with them or not. And so that has nothing to do with the message today. But I just really bothered me. And so I said, I'm going to mention this stuff. Uh, so, okay, that's it. All right, now, if you have your Bible... Uh, you can take it and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to look in verse number 14 today. We're continuing our study in the book of Ephesians, and the message for today is called, I'm Full. And uh, when I was thinking about being full, I was thinking about not necessarily food, but I was thinking about having a full tank. Uh, a number of years ago, I had a meeting in Charleston, and I had uh, I, my car, I run, I'd hit a deer. Uh, with a car, and this is another whole story. I had a Honda, 275,000 miles on it, run over a deer, and just destroyed the car. I hate deer. Okay, so after that happened, I was just ticked off. I had to borrow a car because I had a meeting the next day in Charleston. Uh, I'm teasing when I say I hate deer, so y'all don't write me letters or get angry at me. Uh, so anyway, I had to borrow a friend's car. So I brought, borrowed his car, drove to Charleston. Everything was going well. On the way back, about 75 miles outside of Columbia, the car starts to sputter. 
And I'm like, what's going on? And it just started shaking a little bit, and it was losing power. And then when I got to St. Matthew's, it just absolutely quit. Now, uh, by God's good graces, I was at an exit. I coasted off the exit. I'm looking at the gas gauge. I got a quarter of a tank, and I have no idea what's going on. And so I, I go into a gas station, coasted in. I know nothing about cars. I, I really don't. I know how to put gas in a car, and I can change a flat, and that's it. And so I called the guy that owned the car. And I said, listen, I don't know what the deal is, but uh, the car just absolutely died on me. I got a quarter of a tank, and he interrupted me. He said, oh, man, I forgot to tell you. He said, in that car, empty is a quarter of a tank. Now, do you think that's good information to have? I mean, I was not very happy. And so I'm thinking, my gosh, you know, one thing that you want to have whenever you go on a trip is you always want to have a full tank so that you can get where you want to go. And the same thing is true in life. In life, if we want to get where we want to go, it's so important that we have a full tank. Now, a lot of us try to fill up our tank in life with stuff that we think is going, you know, to bring joy and fulfillment and, and lead us, you know, into the promised land, so to speak. And for a lot of us, that means, you know, it means having more wealth or having more financial security, uh, having certain relationships. And I'm not saying any of those things are wrong. But if you think those things are going to fill your tank in life to help you get where you want to go, I want you to know that that you're sorely mistaken. Uh, King Solomon in the Old Testament is a man who went after things in order to fill up his tank in life. Did it work? Well, here's what Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 2, 10 and 11. He said, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was a reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. It was a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. What was he saying here? He's saying, I went after all this stuff, and yet my tank was still empty. Today we're, we're continuing our study in the book of Ephesians, and today in our scripture we're going to see Paul sharing with the Ephesian church, the Christians that were living in Ephesus. He was sharing with them how God has filled our lives that we might be able to run through this life without, without running out of gas. So if you have your Bible, we're going to look in Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 14. And you might say, well, well, how does God fill our tank? How does God fill us up? And I just want us to see a few things. The first thing I want you to see is that we are told that God fills us with his power. And so look with me in verse number 14. This is what, this is what Paul wrote. He said, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, and I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in the inner man through his spirit. Now, verse number 14 starts off by telling us, for this reason. Now, what is Paul talking about here? Well, Paul is praying that God's power will work through us, that it will work in us. Now, now why is that? Well, we'll just do a little review of what we've talked about so far in the book of, of Ephesians. Uh, I'm not going to ask you all what I talked about uh, the last couple of weeks. One of the scariest things for a pastor to do is say, do you all remember what I preached on last week? 
and every one of you are lying if you shake your head yes. Okay, so I, I don't even know what I said yesterday. And so I'll just give you all a little review. When we started the book of, of Ephesians, we told that God allows us to have his identity. In chapter 1, we are told that we are adopted into the family of God. Uh, we're told in chapter 2 that he brings us to life spiritually. Remember, in, in Ephesians 2, it says that by nature... We are objects of God's wrath. We are told that we are spiritually dead in our sin. And so what God has done is he's reached down to his people and he gives us life spiritually. So what's the result of all that? Well, God says now we are, according to the book of Ephesians, we are citizens of heaven when we come into a relationship with God. Uh, We are no longer foreigners to God, but now we are citizens of God. Now, whenever you become a citizen of, of God, there are certain rights and privileges that are afforded to you. That's just like me and, and you being citizens of the United States. Because we are citizens, there are certain things that we get to enjoy because we're citizens. Because we're citizens, we get to enjoy you know, freedom of travel. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of people today that are out traveling. It's the vacation time. In America, you have the freedom to do that. You have the freedom in America, which I'm, makes me a little bit nervous, might be slipping away, is the freedom of speech. Uh, in the United States, we have, we have uh, the opportunity, because we're citizens, to be protected by the greatest military in the world. We have the freedom to elect who is going to lead us. So those are some privileges that we have because we are citizens of America. But because we are citizens of God, we also have some rights and privileges as well. And one of the rights and privileges that we have when we belong to God is we have the power of God available to us. You know that? Whenever you have a relationship with Jesus and you follow him, you have the power of God available to you. Now you might say, well, how does the power of God, practically speaking, how does that play out in my life? Well, whenever you have the power of God in you, available to you, it means that God affords you the ability to have freedom over fear. And I, I picked fear because, you know, so many of us live our lives in absolute fear. You know, pretty much, we're just, we're just a bunch of scared people. You know? There's a lot of stuff. That there's some of us that we have so many different phobias, it's unbelievable. I mean, y'all, I've, I, I, I've talked to quite a few of you, and you, you have fears of some really strange things. Uh, I, I'm one of them. Every time we shake hands, I go back there and wash my hands right after I get finished shaking your hands, because I have fear of what you're carrying on your body. Y'all just make me nervous. Uh, we just have all kinds of fear. Uh, but I think probably the greatest fear that we can all identify with is death. That's, that's the number one fear that people have. It's public speaking and death. I don't know how those work out together. But those are the two things we fear. We're just going to focus on death. Yeah, we, we are so scared of death because you know, death is it's, it's final for one, right? You know, it's not like you say, well, you know, I didn't do so well whenever I was in high school. But the next time I go to high school, in my next life, I'm going to do some things differently. Hey, y'all, that doesn't happen. You know, that might happen in a movie. It doesn't happen in real life. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die and then to face the judgment. Death makes us nervous because it's, it's unknown. There's some things that are strange about it. We, you, know, you don't talk to somebody and say, what was death like? And you know, people don't just respond to you and say, well, it was rather dark. I mean, nobody says that. We don't know what it's like. But, but death is scary to us because it's going to happen 
to all of us, right? Now, that's something that's a little bit nerve-wracking. But here's the good news. If the power of God is available to you, what kind of power does God make available to us? Did you know that God's power was able to raise Jesus from the dead? And we are told that the resurrection power of God is available to those who are followers of God. Now think about that. God's power that's able to raise Jesus from the dead is power that followers of God have available to them. I think that's rather cool. Uh, Ephesians 1, verses 19 and 20 says, His incomparably great power is available for us who believe. And that power is like the working of His mighty strength, which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. See that? What's available to you is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And it seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms. In all honesty, we have the ability to live life, for those of us who are believers, to live life with total confidence when we begin to understand that God's power, His resurrection power, is made available to us. How can that change us? How can that make us different? How can that make us live differently if we know the resurrection power of Jesus is really available to us? Guys, let me tell you something. If you really believe in the power of God to raise Jesus from the dead and believe it's available to you, it will change everything about you. It will change the way you live. You can live with boldness. Now, can, you imagine, can you imagine living life where you're not afraid of death? Where you're really not afraid to die? Now, y'all, I'm the biggest, I'm the biggest worry wart and scaredy cat that there is. But you know what? According to Scripture, it doesn't have to be. Why? If Jesus has power over death and it's available to you and me, followers of Jesus, do you think that makes a difference? It means that we can base our decisions not off of, not off of you know, well, gosh, that, I feel like God wants me to do that, but it makes me a little bit nervous. It's kind of a stretch and a risk. If you believe in the resurrection power of Jesus, you, might, you say, you know what, it's a risk. And you know what, it's a risk that God wants me to take. And God's got power and it's available to me. It'll change the way you live. It'll change where your focus is. Instead of, instead of trying to live in order to please, please yourself because you think, man, I've only got one chance. This is my life and that's it. You say, I'm, going to live, I'm willing to live within the boundaries of God. Regardless of what other people say, because His power is available to me. How much power is available to us? Well, if you look in our, in our scripture, it says we're told that God provides us with his power out of his glorious riches. Out of his glorious riches. Whenever it talks about God's riches being available to us, it's out of his glorious riches. It's not talking about God. It's not like God's a billionaire and he says, hey, I got 20 bucks left for you if you'd like to get it. What God is saying is all that I have, all my riches are now available to you. Not just a few dollars. Everything that I've got. And so Paul is saying that we need to live our lives in a way that corresponds to the spiritual power that we have available to us. Let me try to give you an example. There's a guy named Mr. Stamps who lived in England. It's a true story. It's a man who's tremendously wealthy, basically owned the entire town that he lived in. Uh, he owned the country club. Anytime the town needed to do something, they had to run it by Mr. Stamps. Now, 
Mr. Stamps, while he was wealthy, the interesting thing about him is he did not care how he dressed. And he basically he dressed like, I mean, he just wore ragtag, ripped-up clothes. As a matter of fact, there was a time when he was standing by the country club he owned, and the police pulled up. They are going to arrest him for vagrancy until they recognized who it was. Now, you have to dress really bad for a policeman to drive by and say, we need to get that guy, we need to pull him over. Right? I mean, that's bad dressing. Now, how absurd is that? The guy who owns the town wears horrible clothes. He dresses like a pauper. And you know what? There's many of us as believers. We have all the wealth, according to the Bible, of God available to us. And yet we live in spiritual poverty and fear. Not recognizing that God desires a different life for us. That's why it's so important. Paul says, listen, I want you to understand. God has filled you with his power. God's power is available to you. But we also see today in our text that God fills us with his love. Now look with me in verse number 17. It says that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height, and depth of God's love. And to know, the, to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You know, too many of us look at Jesus as though we say, you know, I'm going to allow Jesus to, I'm going to allow him to kind of hang out with me today. You know, I'm going to come to church ever so often and give Jesus a few minutes of my time. and He's going to be tickled pink to be with me. Let me tell you something. Jesus, I really believe this. Jesus is not interested in being a part of your life or mine. Jesus is not interested in being a part of your life or mine. He is interested. He desires to be your life. He desires to be your life. We're told in our our verses that we just read that Jesus has come to dwell in our hearts. That doesn't mean just to live somewhere. That word dwell It literally means to make a home. Jesus wants to make a home in your life. And that that sort of animates intimacy. That God desires a deep relationship with you where he is at home with you. Another word Paul uses is that you would be deeply rooted in Jesus. Now, we all know roots are important. I mean, you think about plants. It's important for a tree to have strong roots if it's going to be able to survive. Roots bring nourishment. Roots bring stability. But how do, you, how do you get strong roots for a plant? Well, you've got to nourish it. You've got to water it to help it grow. Same thing's true in our walk with God. If we're going to be rooted in God, that's we can't just sort of you know, give Him two minutes here and there throughout our lifetimes expecting to be rooted in Jesus. How do we get rooted in Jesus? Spend time with Him. Now, how, how did you get rooted and for those of you who are married, how did you get rooted in your relationship with your spouse? Spent time with them, right? Now, what can happen is that after we get married, we quit doing that. A lot of you, you dug really deep roots when you're dating, and then you know, after that, it was like, I'm done. But let me tell you something, guys. If you're going to have a deep, strong relationship, you have to continually nourish that relationship. That's what God is calling out for us. At Village Church, how do we do that? We come, we come to worship. 
We spend time in, in Scripture. We read God's Word to find out about God. We have small group ministries that more and more of us need to be involved in so that we can have fellowship and relationship with other people and find out how God's Word affects our daily living. God doesn't want us to dig roots with Him so we can get stuff out of Him. He wants us to dig roots with Him because He loves us. Because He cares for us. Now here's my question for you that I'd like you to think about. What, what is the biggest motivator that you have to live for Jesus? You don't have to answer out loud. But what is it that really motivates you? You say, you know what, I desire God. Now I think some of us, the, the biggest motivator for a lot of us is fear. You know, I know when I, when I was a kid, that was a big motivator for me with God. Because I, I, y'all, I fear hell. You know, I mean, I really do. And I was like, I don't want to go there. And so I was motivated to seek after God. But let me tell you something. Fear is just a temporary motivator. And I can prove it. You know, whenever you're driving down the road and you see a policeman behind you, uh, Harry, the drummer, and Walt, our bass player, they're both policemen. If you all ever see them, uh, they're, they're looking for you. Now, whenever you see a policeman in your rearview mirror, what, what, do you, what, do you, what do you do? Yeah, I mean, you slow. Now, why are you slowing down? Because probably you're going too fast. Now, I know for me, whenever I see a police in my rearview mirror, even if I'm not speeding, I am fearful. And I look down, it's like, I don't want to get another ticket. So I slow down. I stay within the range. But what happens when the policeman, he, he goes away, you know, he passes by, you have a sense of relief. And after about an hour, what begins to happen to your speed? Yeah, it starts to creep back up. Now, that right there is an example. Fear is a temporary motivator. You know what the greatest motivator is? It's love. A couple of weeks ago, I, I shared this with you all. Emily and I, we celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary, which means I'm an expert in marriage now. You know, I can tell you all, I, I can give you advice. But here's the deal. You know why we're still married after 20 years? Because of the money. No, I'm teasing. The reason why we're still, the reason why we're still married after 20 years, the reason why she's still married to me. You know, I, and, and, and I, also why I'm still married to her. In 20 years, my wife, I guarantee you, my wife has seen me at every, at every aspect of my life. She's seen me to be, be the biggest jerk. I know that can be shocking to you. Y'all, I've been a horse's rear a number of times. I've been rude and inconsiderate. But you know what? My wife still loves me. And that, that is amazing. But you know what that makes me want to do because she loves me? It makes me want to love her. See, that is my strong motivator. It's not fear. Now, there are times when I am fearful of my wife, you know. But what motivates me with her is love. And whenever I look at my motivation with God and I see how God has loved me, ah, I have a desire to live for Him because of His love for me and for you. Guys, He gave Himself for us. That we might have life. That is love. Now I look at our scripture. I see that God, God, God has already given us everything that we need. Already. You don't need to be looking for, for more and more stuff to satisfy you. Jesus is all you need. You see, he fills you with his power. He fills you with his love. And this is the last thing I want you to see. And this one I think is really cool. He also fills us with his expectations. Now, final two verses, verses 20 and 21, it says, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond 
all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I think most people go through life just trying to get through life. I, really, I believe that most people would say, you know, I want to I have a job, I want to make a living, I want to do enough to, to pay my bills, put food on the table. And, and there, y'all, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's admirable. That's, that's a good thing to do, to strive for. You know, that's just sort of it. You know, I just want to I, I do those things, and, and then maybe I can do enough to have one nice vacation a year, and then I live 70 and 80 years, then, then that's a life. Yeah, I don't know about y'all, but I look at that and I think that those are some a couple of those things are admirable. But I don't. I want more than that, you know. I'm not looking just to put food on the table and then live seventy and eighty years and say I'm checking out. You know, I did my thing. I really don't believe that's God's intention for us either, because that kind of a life is a very self-centered life, where He said, "This is what I want, and that's it." You know, when God chose the Jewish people to be his people. He didn't do it just so the Jewish people could be satisfied saying, yeah, God chose us. That's cool. You know why God chose the Jewish people? It was so that through them, they could be a blessing to other nations. God raised their expectations with their life when he chose them. And Village Church, for those of us who belong to God, when God brought us into his family, he raises our expectations. And that this life is not just about us. God has brought us into his family that we might be a blessing to others. He fills us with his expectations. Village Church, we need to have God-sized expectations. What does God expect of us? God expects us to impact family, our community, our friends. Yes, my desire for this church to make a difference in this county so that more and more people will find Jesus. Our expectations as a church need to rise above ourselves. And whenever Jesus fills us with his power and he fills us with his love and his expectations... It begins to work in us, and we begin to see change in community. We begin to see communities change. We begin to see lives change. Let me share with you what Jesus said in John fourteen twelve through 14. He said, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. And then Jesus says this. He says, he'll do even greater things than these. Because I'm going to the Father, and I will do, Jesus Jesus said, I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. And he says this, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. That is fascinating to me. Jesus says, you ask for anything in my name, and Jesus said, I'll do it. If we are living and striving after God and asking for things according to the will of God, Jesus said, I'm going to do it. And so what is, how does that play out for me? You know, how does that play out for, you know, like village church? What does that mean for us? Let me share with you what it means for me and what I'm asking God for. Y'all saw, you've seen the great dirt pit over here. You've seen half a trailer. By the way, it will be put back together next week. You've seen all this stuff that's going on. I am asking God that in that new parking lot that we're going to have out there, 
and that new building that we're going to have out there, that God is going to jam it with people. Now, why would I ask God that? So that I'll feel good about myself? No. Y'all, I am asking that God will bring scores of people into the fellowship, people that you bring, that you have a sphere of influence with, so that this community can see God move like they've never seen it before. There is something powerful that happens in a community when people see God move. I am asking that through the ministry of this church that God is going to raise up young people who are going to be missionaries, who are going to be pastors and teachers, who are going to invade the political world, who are going to invade their jobs, and they are going to live for Jesus and stand by his word so that they can make an impact for Christ in our community. I'm praying that God will use this church to be a major player in the lives of students and children. Because as lives, the lives of students and children are changed, y'all, our future becomes different. And I said, well, that says there's some kind of some big things there. And they are. But you know what I claim? I claim where verse number 20 says that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. I really believe this. I believe that so many of us as believers and churches have not seen God do great things because we don't believe or ask God for great things. Y'all, God's big. God has all power. He has the power to raise people from the dead. Do you know anybody like that? I don't. He's a big God. And it is time that we ask God for big things. And I'm asking for God for big things to happen in this church. You know, it, it just makes you think of James 4.2 where it says, You have not because you ask not. Let's, just, let's ask God for big things. Not for our glory, for His glory. And I really mean this when I say it. I, I want to see a mighty move of God in this community, in our country. So that we can look back as we get older and say, you know what? God moved then and we were a part of it. Because we weren't afraid to ask God for big things. Now, does it fill us first to ask God for big things? Absolutely not. God's already filled us with everything that we need. He fills us with his power. He fills us with his love. And he fills us with his expectations. Let me tell you something. You don't need anything else. I don't either. We don't need anything else because we are filled with everything. God's already given it to us. Let's just be vessels that make ourselves available to God. Say, God, work through us. And let's see some cool things happen.